Okay, so we're going to get started uh, this week. We're talking about our atmosphere. So th- we, we're in the series, the Dare series. So we've got devotional, uh, devotion life. We've got atmosphere, and then Josh is going to lead us with relationships and evangelism. And I'm going to start with point. We're just going to jump right in. Keys. Your first key point is that your devotion, your devotion creates our atmosphere here. You have no devotion that affects our atmosphere. In this room, in this church, you have uh, an intentional devotional time that impacts our atmosphere here as a class. If you're walking in the Spirit, that affects us. If you're not walking in the Spirit, that affects us. Does that make sense? That's critical. Now the two components of our atmosphere as we're talking about what is you know what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we have an atmosphere here in this class? The two components are praise and worship is one. Our praise and worship. Because we do that before service, we do that after service. That's the thing that we do. And the receiving uh, of the preaching and teaching of the Bible. So time singing and time learning, basically. Those are the two components we're going to talk about. So as I was studying this, I was looking at um, some first mentions of some words like hymn and sing and song, sang and singing and sings and all the words that relate to singing, right? And so uh, if you're filling in, if you're jotting notes down there for, uh, for hymn and sung, that first mention in the New Testament of the word hymn or the word sung shows up in Jesus' Last Supper. <coughs> it happens at the Last Supper. And that's the passage we're going to look at today, but a couple of other um, honorable mentions. These are ones that you know, we're not going to take time to look at, but uh, the only mention of the word sang in the New Testament is when Paul and Silas were in prison. Only time anybody sang with the word sang, right, was a couple guys in prison. And then uh, sing and sang, the first mention of those words is in the same passage. First mention in the whole entire Bible, and that's when Moses and the children of Israel were singing. They sang about God's deliverance through the Red Sea. Right? You remember when God parted the Red Sea? And the children of Israel walked through, and the Egyptian Pharaoh and his army, they're after them, and then they get crushed by the water, and then the children of Israel sing. So, something that is common about those contexts of these songs that have been sung is that they're instances of, like, kind of tribulation, intense situations, Right? Yet, the songs, as we'll find out, are in response to how good God is compared to those dire situations that they found themselves in. But think about it. Okay, so if you're a part of the children of Israel, right, and you see Moses holding up the staff, the water parts, the ground is dry, and you and your family walk through the Red Sea, it takes however long it takes, and you finally get through, and you're a little scared because Pharaoh and his army are after you, right? You're probably, unless God does something, you're going to die. And then you get through the Red Sea, and then you see 
the sea, crushing all those bad guys. Mm. Is your first response like, oh, hey, let's call up the praise band. Let's end with a, a, a nice joyful noise. I mean, in my mind, it's like I would just freak out. I would just start, I'd probably just start crying. Like all those dead people all at once. I should have been dead. Like that would have been a very, I don't know, reactive kind of response. Right? You don't, you, you don't sit at home at night. You know, when I'm at, when I am going to sleep, uh, what I do is I close my eyes and I'm not lying. I imagine myself playing catch with my friends with the football. And, and I literally imagine myself, and you can make fun of me, but I fall asleep really quick. I imagine myself dropping back, and then typically the first route that's run is someone runs out here, and then they go to the left, and then they cut back up the field, and I just toss a dime right into the bread basket. Boom. Every night, I imagine that. And then whenever I get to play catch with my friends, it's like, I already know what's going to happen. I've imagined it already. I don't sit at home, and nor do you, because it'd be strange. You don't really know how to prepare for when something devastating happens. Right? Like 9-11. When 9-11 happened, no one knew how to respond. No one did. You're like, what's 9-11? 3,000 people were murdered in the United States because somebody hijacked a couple planes some guys hijacked them, some, some planes and they blew up buildings killing about 3,000 people and I was in 5th grade and I'm sitting there and they're showing it and it's like what do we how do you respond to this how do you well the children of Israel Sing a song. Paul and Silas in prison. And if you're in prison at that time, you know, if you're in prison here in the United States, you know what that means? You know what that means? You have to join a gang. <laughs> it means you have to join a gang. No, it means, it means you get meals provided for you. You probably get some type of wreck time each day. You get, to, you get your phone calls. You get to be connected. Um, you know, as long as you don't do anything terribly awful, your life is, is bad, but, I mean, it's not like you're going to just guaranteed to die. Okay, but if you're in prison at this time, your meal is not guaranteed. You don't, you don't know what the outcome of your time in that prison will be, because there aren't rights. There are no prisoner rights. There are no human rights for you. You're in prison. So you might as well just ride away and die. Paul and Silas, they were like, well, let's grab that banjo. Let's play a song, right? Let's sing it. One commonality of all these instances is the proximity to death. They were all very close, especially the Lord's Supper. They were very close to death, right? And what we'll learn is that death makes way for the sweetest praise. Death makes way for the sweetest praise, the death of our sin, the death of our flesh. When those deaths happen in our lives, I'm really sweet in you in praise. I'm going to hit you with a couple key points. 
right here. Next key point, those who genuinely praise God on Sunday mornings. I want you to think about the people who you interpret as uh, genuinely praising God. Those who genuinely praise God on Sunday mornings are those who see Jesus in a particular way, and that is as the answer or the hero of their situations. My situation is hard. Jesus is the answer. My situation is good. It's resolved. Jesus is the hero. He's either the answer or He's the hero. And if you see Jesus in that way, then you will be, what else are you going to do but praise? Now, if your praise is not genuine, if your praise is half-hearted or no-hearted, if you're just singing songs because that's what everybody's doing, if you're not singing songs, I would suggest to you that you don't see Jesus properly. And your worship is weak. And that can change different. Your next key point is this. The voice of praise doesn't have to be strong and powerful, but the reason for singing is a God who is. You may not be good at singing. You might have a quiet voice. Who do we think has the quietest voice in here? Mitch? Maybe. Anna? Natalie? Trinity? Jade? I was going to say, nobody's going to say joy? I said joy. Joy. No, I do feel like joy has gotten louder. Yeah. In a good way. Let's all put our attention on joy right now. (laughs) She's like, I hate you. (laughs) Okay. Those people, if they're quiet, it's okay. How many of you cannot sing? Like, you are awful at singing. Okay. Some of you, you're awful at singing. And you know what? You know what? That's okay. God is not auditioning you. You don't have to sound really cool. You don't have to sound like Alex Allen. I mean, he's just got the smoothest... Like, dude, he can straight up sang. He doesn't sing. He can sang. Exactly. Right? And if you aren't anywhere near that, that's okay. That's perfect. That's not, that's not what we're getting at. What we're getting at is that your heart sees Jesus as He is strong and He is powerful and He is good and He is talented and majestic and wonderful. Right? And even if you have a soft spoken voice, your praise matters, right? I want to pray, and then we're going to look at the Last Supper, and we'll take some uh, some keys from that, and then we're going to uh, we're going to practice. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this this group, this youth group. Um, God, I want to hide behind your word. I want your word to go forth. I want your word to have the preeminence in this room. To, to the authority. I want your word to, to be what leads us, what directs us, what challenges us, uh, corrects us, what builds us up. God, we want your word to, um, to just have free course here. To have free course in our hearts and in this space. And um, God, would you help us have hearts that are tuned and ready to receive your word.
that aren't passive, that aren't apathetic, that aren't distracted, but hearts that uh, desire to meet with you right now. God, help us to find ourselves in that place. Help posture our hearts properly. And uh, God, be glorified in this time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 26. If, you're, uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and pop that thing open. Go to Matthew 26. This is a very grave situation. This is the Last Supper. This is the meal that Jesus has with His friends uh, before He's crucified. So it's a very serious, somber, very big deal. Let's jump in and read it. Matthew 26, verse 20. We'll read through 30. I'm I'm just going to read a story and then we'll talk about it. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. This is Jesus. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. They're having a meal. He says, you're going to one of you is going to betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful. And began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and, and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray with me. That's one of you who's eating food with me is going to be the one who betrays me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had never been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. That's awkward. You're at the dinner table eating a meal and Jesus says, One of you... These are his boys. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all like, wait, wait, wait. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And then Judas says, is it I, Lord? He says, you said it. Now that comment probably wasn't said in public. I mean, I would imagine that it was like a quiet, like, is it me? And he's like, you said it. By the way, That room is not like what we want our fellowship to be like, right? It doesn't seem like a lighthearted, fun, like they probably weren't playing cards in that moment, right? It all of a sudden was very heavy, serious. And as they were eating, it continues, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take ye, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Thank you all. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you and my Father's kingdom. What is he alluding to? Uh, Alluding to. What is he alluding to? What is he talking about? He's not going to drink this with them until he's in the kingdom, in his Father's kingdom. Is my body broken for you? My blood shed for many? What does that mean? What is he talking about? What's he referencing? The, the cross, the crucifixion, his death, his sacrifice for their sin, for our sin. He's letting them know, I'm going to have to go die. Right? Imagine for a second that tension that must have existed at the table in those closing hours of Jesus' life. He st- with one of you is going to betray me. Then he says, hey, I'm going to die. Whoa! 
right? What would have been racing through the disciples' minds and hearts in those moments? And it says this, And when they had sung in Him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So, as they're eating the meal and they're finishing up, they begin to sing this hymn. Within this context, what would be going on in Christ's heart during that song? Singing to Him with His guys. What's going on in His heart? Is it the same as what goes on in our heart when we do praise and worship? Does He just kind of ignore the reality of of His upcoming suffering? Sing a little jingle with His friends? Right? Like is it one of those upbeat praise songs? Where everybody's wearing skinny jeans and their hair's all slicked up. Hi, welcome to blah blah blah. We're gonna sing a song. Is this what the moment is like? No. Is Jesus bouncing around with his friends like we love Jesus? What's going on in there? What facial expressions could he have been making? Did he not care? Was he half asleep? I worship you for who you are. I worship you for who you are. I worship you for who you are. Myself. <laughs> Where is he at? Can you imagine what song is fit for you for your last moments before giving up your life? You know, He knows, I am going to give the ultimate sacrifice. Not only am I going to die, I'm going to be brutalized. I'm going to be tortured. I went fishing this weekend because my daughter and my daughters and my wife were out of town and I, I got stuck in these brush piles because I'm an idiot and I'm just like trying to get around this pond and there's just brush everywhere and it's grabbed a hold of me on all like parts of my body and I'm like, you know what, I'm a big man and these are little brushes so I'm just going to push through and when I pushed through, it ripped my skin and I was like, oh, this is not comfortable and this is probably a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the pain that Jesus felt. There were thorns in my flesh and I looked at one point and the thorn was like pulling my flesh up. I was like, this is not cool. But they stuck one of these on his head. And those thorns weren't the little like baby thorns like I had because I was trying to catch a fish, which I didn't do. Jesus knew he was going to die. And he knew when they shoved that crown on his head that blood was going to pour down all over his face. And that when they whipped him, that when that whip went into his back and they pulled it out, it ripped his skin off. And on top of that, they mocked him. What song are you singing right before that happens? I have no idea. Can you even sing? What is there to sing about in that moment? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Or maybe... It is well. Sing it with me. It is well. It is well with my soul. With my soul. It 
it is well, it is well with my soul. Can Jesus sing that in that moment? Is that where he's at? I really, I would imagine so, I don't know. I doubt he was singing in English. That song wasn't even written yet. Here's your key point. This is, this is specific. Singing praise to God is giving Him your heart because of your circumstances. Because He is worthy and He is faithful. Jesus and His friends were singing to Him because He was going to go die. Not despite the fact that He was going to go die. It was because He was going to go die. Because He knew the altar that He was going to have to lay Himself on was prepared and ready and waiting for Him. He knew that His life was over. Of that, it's time to sing. It's time to praise. It's time to give my heart. Because my my circumstances are really awful. I gotta sing. So how do we get to that place? And one of the key points before was, man, we sing praise genuinely because he's he's the answer for our solution. So Jesus is singing a hymn to God because God is the answer. He is the solution for His situation, right? But maybe we're not, you know, in some dire situation. Maybe we've just gotten through a dire situation and God has been good to us and we have reason to, to, to celebrate and be excited. Well, God is the hero. How do you get to that place where you're not scared to sing? Or you're not ashamed to sing because somebody else is listening? How do you get to the place where you don't care what other people think about you when you sing praise to the Lord. How do you get there? How do you get to the place where you are lifting up genuine, heartfelt, authentic, raw, emotional, true, real praise to God? How do you get there? What does that look like? I think that many times our focus is on us, or maybe it's on our friends in here, Maybe even on those who are coming into the room, right? So praise is happening and people are showing up. Maybe your focus is on that. Or maybe you're waiting, you're eagerly anticipating who's going to come in the room and so your mind is elsewhere, it's not right here, it's not on this moment. How do you get to the place where nothing else matters but giving God praise? I think about it like this. Singing praises to God is like the kid at the pool looking to jump in the deep end. It's almost summertime. It's almost time to get to that pool. The kid walks to the edge. He's little. He looks at the water, deep in, thinks about it, and jumps in. It's scary, but he does it. Some kids don't jump, though, do they? Some kids walk up, they look over the edge, they think about it too long. Instead of just doing it, they think about it. They're like, well... If this happens, and then if this happens, then if this happens, and then I don't know if I could do that, or like, so maybe I'll just do it later, right? And they waited. They thought about it too much. They may return to the pool every day that summer. Some kids do this. They go to the pool every day, and the deep end. Here, just like some of you, I know that I should like give my heart to the Lord and sing and just be bold and be brave, but maybe I'll just do that later. And you just keep on coming back. Just like that kid at the pool, looking at the deep end, 
knowing they want to be free to jump in. But fear holds them back. Eventually, though, here's what you need to know about those pool rats. Those kids who are always there at the pool. Lifeguards know about them. Those pool rats. They're there every day. And eventually, what do they do? Eventually, they jump in the deep end. Eventually, they get there. They do. That, or they stop coming to the pool. So for you, you're either eventually going to jump in and you're going to give your heart to the Lord or you're going to stop coming. If you look at all the people who have graduated from youth ministry into Kaya and the main service, if you look, if you just watch our alumni. Look at them. They care about the Lord more than they care about what people think about them. And there are others who aren't here. But if you stick around, eventually you're going to jump in. Eventually you're going to figure it out like, oh, it doesn't matter if I sing like a horse. That's great. Or a goose. Right? It's okay. Here's your key. Our atmosphere here at uh, MBT Student Ministry should be one that people feel free to arrive and jump right into praise, service, and fellowship with us. We should have an atmosphere where when, when people walk in, they don't just automatically think, oh no, everybody's staring at me. They're not singing the song, they're staring at me. They should feel liberty to just roll in here because what we're doing is praising God. What we're focusing on is God. What we're thinking about, what our heart is given to is God. And so when they come in, they're like, oh, this is what we're doing. Okay, cool, got it. Guess that's what I'm going to do. What else am I going to do? That's the atmosphere we have to create. How do we get that? Your devotion. Your devotion. Your devotional life, your quiet time, your relationship with God, individual, personal, Savior, Son, right? Dad, daughter, relationship. That has to be priority in your life. And then we'll just all rub elbows. We'll all be on the same page. One mind. Right? And then all of a sudden people are going to want to be here. And they're going to want to praise God. So here's what we're going to do right now. Some of you are zoning out. You're like, what are you, what are you talking about? I don't even... I fell asleep. It's okay. We're going to sing some more songs. So the praise team is going to come up here. They're going to lead us in a song. And then we're going to sing some more a cappella. And we're just going to practice this. Right? We're going to, we're going to get some muscle memory of you not giving a care what other people around you think about your singing. You're just going to sing some songs. And we're going to walk through it together. So praise team, come on up. Come on up. You're going to lead us. What song are we doing? I don't know. <laughs> Praise team doesn't know. We got it though. King of Heaven. King of Heaven. Yeah. Well, I don't even know that one. Perfect. <laughs> so you guys stand up. We're going to sing praise to the Lord. I want to challenge you. Sing it out loud. Sing it loud. Sing it with your heart. And then we're going to sing some more here in a moment.